0: All righty, we'll try this again. (laughs) Okay. Hey,
1: everybody. Welcome to another episode of Bearded Bible Brothers. I am Matt. And I am Josiah, and we are still bearded. (laughs) Indeed, we are. Indeed, we are. Before we just started recording, we were commenting on the uh, fall weather that each of us is experiencing. And here in Arizona, fall happens suddenly. So last week I was wearing t-shirts and shorts and flip-flops and then fall hit. And now I'm in mm-hmm. jeans and closed-toed shoes and a jacket. My chinny chin is a wee bit on the chilly side.
0: I, I It's getting a little chilly up here, too. We uh we went up and saw the fall colors this past Saturday and it was nice. It was very nice, but it was the reminder of that here come the winds.
1: <laughs> now when you say we went up, you're already very high north in Utah. Does that so does that mean you went even closer to like the Idaho border?
0: Well, we went up in altitude for sure. We went up into oh. Idaho. Well, we're right next to the Idaho state line. So we went right over the state line up into a place called Franklin Basin. And uh, whew, beautiful colors, beautiful, beautiful. Very colors. cool. Yep. Yeah, we it was a great day, but uh, it is definitely becoming obviously cooler here. Uh, the seasons are obviously changing. But yep. uh, I, I remember when I lived in Arizona, uh, season changes could be very pronounced. There, mm-hmm. very pronounced. <laughs> yep. But, including the heat. Oh, my word. I remember watching plastic melt like it was butter.
1: Yes. So I used to have, um, do you know what Rocketbook is? It's a brand of notebook that's like kind of sort of a whiteboard material. So it's a thin little notebook that you can erase and reuse and upload them oh, to your cool. Google Docs and stuff like that. Oh, so- I've
0: seen stuff like it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I had the version that instead of it being slick and whiteboard, it was almost like normal paper. So you got the texture of writing on normal paper. And the Mm -hmm. way you, uh, this is going to sound weird, but it had a plastic binding. And the Uh way you erase it instead of it being whiteboard is you put it in the microwave with a glass of water and microwave it for 30 seconds, and it erases the whole book. And then you get to get to use it again it was it was a really neat concept and i'm sure if you live anywhere but arizona it would be great but you can't i accidentally left my notebook in my car one day and it just wiped (laughs) because (laughs) it was too hot (laughs) well like i needed all of those notes what am i gonna do (laughs) that's
0: funny oh really professor the sun did it (laughs) right yeah
1: no, fortunately, I wasn't in college at the time. They were, they were personal notes and work notes. But
0: yeah, right, but, right, right, right. But still, gotta
1: kind of recreate that whole Bible study. <laughs> or,
0: or, sorry, Professor, my microwave erased my notes.
1: Yeah, my microwave ate my homework.
0: <laughs> oh boy, mm. we could do an episode on dad jokes, probably. <laughs> Stuff like that.
1: We could. I don't know that anyone would listen to it, Probably but we could we could make it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man.
0: But if there was one thing we were going to talk about today, it was going to be books.
1: <laughs> yes. So today is going to be one of the fun episodes on on a break between topics, whether mm-hmm. uh, thematic topics or um bible study through particular books of the bible we're just going to do another update on what we've been reading so we've done one book episode on books that help shape us and make us who we are maybe we've done two i don't recall but today we're we're going to do one. yeah so today we're going to do books that we're currently reading or have have recently read that we really enjoyed so josiah what's what you've been reading
0: Hey, I've been reading all sorts of books. Uh, let's see. The one I'm going to start with is uh, called Nurture Their Nature. And uh, it is uh, it's, it's a little different book than I, I was expecting, but it was excellent because it's geared towards um, parents and teachers. But it ended up being incredibly useful for me personally. Um, okay. It is written by uh, rap- Rabbi J- Joseph Lynn, who has a psychology degree, and Rabbi Jack Cohen, which has an ed- a, 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 a master's in education. Okay, nice. And um, both of these gentlemen had an approach of what they called po- uh, applied positive psychology. It's actually a new field of study within psychology, as you probably know, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, the uh, the guy with the psychology degree studied under the guy who pioneered the field, and he they took that aspect of psychology and they applied it to the Bible, what 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 the uh, what Jews would call the Torah and what Christians would call the Pentateuch, and used it as a way of showing the development of an individual, and hmm. I there were a couple of chapters that. It, it, I felt, okay, okay, I can get where they're going here. It just didn't really apply to me very much, but nearly every single chapter did. And I really appreciated the layout of it. They started at a core foundational building block, and they built from there. And really, I didn't even see them building up. They just kept applying the foundation over and over and over and over in the sense that they put down one block. All right, let's put down another one. And another one and another one. They made a very big and solid foundation of information that really applied to individuals directly out of scripture in a more pos- and, and And I say they say positive uh, uh, psychology, but really in a po- more positive light. Um, I remember how, one how book I read. Mean? Well, I mean, well, I was going to say I remember one book I read. It's called Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones. Mm-hmm. And. Jones is considered to be the guy to go to for learning preaching. The guy had a very eloquent, very amazing style of preaching um but bef- if I remember correctly before he was a pastor, he was a counselor, he was a psychologist of some kind. Okay. And so he ended up realizing, wait a minute, why is it that Christians who should be very joyous and very thankful and happy about what God's done in their life tend to are portraying and and intending to appear more depressed than any other people group he's ever worked with. And so he wrote a book about it and I, I appreciated that book too. It was, it was forming. I didn't read, let's see, I read that a number of years ago. I was, it wasn't when I was younger, but I did read it maybe about 10, 10, 12 years ago. And what okay. I what I took away from that book even um, was that um, how I look at the Bible can influence my outlook of things. If I'm constantly looking at myself as a sinner and, neat, and and just constantly sinning, that's going to influence how I think of myself and how I think of others around me. Of course. And I don't remember Jesus ever using that to browbeat or even to make anyone else depressed. And so, you know, what, now that I now that I realize it, both these books really complemented each other in the in the sense that one addressed a problem, and the other one took care of the problem. And, and which one was which? So, uh, Martin Lloyd Jones' book addressed the problem. Joseph Lins fixed the problem. It gave it. It helped you be able to look at what you're looking at here. And then one of their very first starting points was, "You're made in the image of God." What does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does that do to a person's psyche about who they are and how they develop? And I thought, well, yeah, definitely, definitely. And the chapters weren't really that big; they were just a few pages long, but they were dense. They were very dense. It wasn't a lot of fluff language. They got to the point. They stayed on point for the most part. There were a couple of chapters later on in the book that felt oh, they were adding a little more fluff, but still they were so on point that every chapter left you with so much to chew on. I had to take it nearly a chapter at a time. Oh wow! It was it was that it was that thick. But the book was only this thick, literally maybe half an uh, almost not even an inch thick. As far as pages is concerned, but the, okay. the knowledge and the thinking of it was very thick. So,
1: was it thick because, um, because it was just uh, more of a foreign concept or a foreign way of looking at it, or was it thick just because they were going deep and it was good, meaty material?
0: You know, that's a great question. Um, I found the second one to be more applicable. There were some words that I'm going, okay, I'm not quite understanding that word there, but um, a quick word search allowed me to understand what word they're using. But even then, their context really explained a lot of that. Um, And with how they were presenting Torah, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Noah, Adam, um, it was in a different way. Then we've been, you know, especially in the sense that we're looking at these people now as keystones, keystones of where this was. This is where Adam was at with, with his development. This is where Noah and so on, so on. And so it was looking at them in different ways. And that's what was so fascinating to me, because not only was I able to start looking them in a new way, but all of this New Testament scripture started to pop. Because one thing I read here went, oh, wait a minute, I can pick that up out of out of Galatians or out of Romans or out of Luke or something. And, and it just even amplifies more of what Paul or Luke or any of the other writers were trying to say in the New Testament or even what Jesus was saying. So, I so. overall, I thought it was an excellent, excellent source for personal development, as well as being able to train your eye to look at your children. And anybody that might come into your life uh, who's seeking your influence, whether it be actual elementary students or something, but, or some student that comes in your life and says, I want to learn what you have to say. I thought it was excellent. So
1: very cool. mm
0: -hmm. So those are two books I'd actually recommend together. Awesome. I think they would work very well in tandem. How about you? What you've been reading?
1: Um, so for the last eight or nine months, I have really latched on to um, Dr. Michael Heiser. Mm. Um, and he went home to be with the Lord, I think it was just in February. Um, yeah, and of course few, I find him after that. But yeah. um, so I read uh, two months ago, I think I read Reversing Hermon. About what happened on Mount Hermon regarding um, the Nephilim and the Watchers and First Enoch mm. and Genesis six one through four and mm-hmm. it was a terrific, terrific book and mm. he, the way he goes through it, um, it might be prudent for people to to read um, spiritual realm first. Another yeah, one of I've his heard books that, first.
0: that there is a, a, a sort of chrono- chronology that you might take the books in because one can definitely be applied more with with, with another. Is that yes. right? OK, yeah.
1: So so he he has uh, one of his one of his most well-known books is called Spiritual Realm, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is a, a little bit of a thicker volume, a little bit academic, but still very accessible. Mm-hmm. but then there's a, a simplified version of the same thing called supernatural a little bit smaller, oh, okay. a little bit more accessible but those are basically the same content
0: that's what i was thinking when i read over them. so i was okay because i haven't read yeah. either of them yet but i've watched a lot of his youtube videos on present presenting at least the realm book for sure
1: yes so yeah so, if you're familiar with Dr. Michael Heiser's work, either through the Naked Bible podcast or mm-hmm. through some of his YouTube videos, or or something like that, then you could totally jump into reversing hormone and be totally fine. Okay. If you if you've never heard his name before, probably start with um, Spiritual Realm, which I'm also okay. I'm currently in right now. So I found the podcast first, mm-hmm. and I've binge listened to quite a bit of it. Certainly not all yet. Um, mm-hmm love his podcast the naked bible podcast uh, and then i read reversing Hermon and now i'm okay. going back and reading spiritual realm
0: um, okay.
1: and i'm really enjoying it so his his work so for for anybody that doesn't know um he was in seminary or uh getting his doctorate in theology or, or something um either a demon or, or theology or something like that oh okay um, yeah and somebody walking on the way to a class or a seminar showed him psalm 82 mm-hmm. and and um just if you read it for what it says without any doctrinal trying to explain away what the clear meaning of the words say Yep. it it very much reads as god rebuking the the Elohim, the, the lesser gods, the created gods, the created spiritual beings that that God, the creator, Yahweh, made and mm-hmm. rebuking them for being poor stewards and poor leaders over the nations. Yeah. And so right. that kind of just put him into a weird tailspin. He ends up doing his entire doctrine or his doctorate, <laughs> doctorate. on yeah. But, um, he create, <laughs> right he ends up doing his entire doctorate on the idea of um lower elohim lower spiritual beings and Mm. um and the divine council and the how the the triune godhead is part of the divine council um but but the triune god being being one and mm-hmm. um, being co-creators and all of that very very in line with traditional orthodoxy as far as um, christianity mm-hmm. but but putting the divine council in and it's it's if all of this sounds foreign to you it's super amazing it's a thousand percent biblical please go pick up uh spiritual realm and go read it 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 will literally change how you read scripture because this is the worldview and the perspective that the Biblical authors, Old and New Covenant,
0: mm-hmm. had,
1: and they didn't take the time to spell it out or explain it because the, the writers had it and their audience had it. So they, why, right. why explain the obvious? They they assume that right. you know all of this. Right. So it's yeah. super fascinating and interesting and wonderful. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I agree with you that that the audience and the and the writer had something between them I think what I'm constantly reminded of lately is that we are not Jewish and this book is a Jewish book and so we have not been raised or trained in a way to be able to look at this book in its original context and so we are coming and as a result we're coming at it from that very Western mindset especially when we're not incorporating those Jewish, Contexts, especially through their commentators, their teachers, and their scribes. And so, which is why it makes it even more important for people such as Michael Heiser, who went, yes, you're right. He went home to be with the Lord in February uh, on 20th, February 20th of this year. And uh, so, it makes it even more important for persons like him to do what he did. And I think that that was definitely a God given passion for him to drive after that topic. So, I'm curious, the realms. Was that his dissertation or did he have a separate dissertation?
1: I don't know. Um, I think, I think spiritual realm is um, heavily uh, drawn from his dissertation, but I don't think it's just copy paste. This was my doctoral dissertation.
0: Okay. I know that lately uh, some graduate colleges and, and, and doctoral colleges have been allowing their students to actually publish their dissertation in the form of a book. Yes. And, and so they're, and so it's actually getting out there. But, um, anyways, interesting, 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 interesting. What about the topic has really stood out to you the most? What has been the one that's really captivated you about, about this?
1: Um, probably, um, slightly biased perspective on answering that because i've actually finished reversing Hermon and i'm mm-hmm. not finished i'm not even quite halfway through uh spiritual realm okay and I, I know a lot of the content from spiritual realm because of his podcast yeah but true. um but reversing hermon was super cool and amazing because before reading that book the uh-huh. idea of um the nephilim and and genesis 6 1 through 4 and and the reason for the flood was all just kind of a a, an aside and a oh that's an interesting conversation for those who want to take that random tangent and Mm -hmm. who really knows Mm -hmm. what it was and Mm -hmm. and, and, Mm -hmm. but then when you when you go through so spoiler for for anybody who has not read the book (laughs) um when you learn what it was and the ancient jewish perspective on it not just the ancient, ancient Jewish like um like Noah right. and Abraham, but but the Second Temple period literature and, and beyond, um, realizing that their perspective is sin started, sin meaning missing the mark, started with Adam mm-hmm. and Eve eating the fruit. But true wickedness did not start until Genesis chapter six. It didn't start until the angels taught humanity metallurgy for the sake of making weapons and beautification for the sake of seduction and um, just true wickedness didn't start in the garden, which is just fascinating. And then the implications therein and and it also, I found really satisfying answer. A lot of people um, struggle with the idea that um, that God condoned or even commanded borderline genocide when Mm -hmm. joshua and the children of israel entered the land of of canaan right Um, but as heiser explains in reversing hermon you have to look at the people groups specifically that he tells because some of them he says you can keep the loot you can keep the cattle and you can keep the virgins but kill the men and and married women Mm -hmm. but some people groups he says completely annihilate everything and everyone and don't keep anything right if you look at which ones he says to what the ones he says destroy everything it's not because they were uh whatever worse people or or they weren't on god's good side or whatever it's mm-hmm. because they were genealogically connected to the giants and the nephilim and and the watchers and mm-hmm. then at the end of david's life in um second samuel was that 23 mm-hmm when um, it goes through the list of his mighty men of valor and the deeds that they accomplished and the things that they did,
0: mm-hmm. if you
1: read through that list, almost with the exception of Benea who jumped into a pit with a lion on a snowy day and killed it just for the heck of it, like a, a hold my wineskin type of moment. Right. <laughs> um, we don't know if this lion was threatening a village or what, but he just like, yeah. hey, I'm doing it. But. But a lot of the others, uh, the guys and, and what they did, it's mm-hmm. listed because they were specifically taking out the descendants of the Nephilim and the giants. And and it's very, very poignant.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: you don't hear anything else about the giants or the Nephilim for the rest of the Old Testament. It, it's just gone. It's like David and right. his guys accomplished it. Right. And right. until you get to Jesus, Yeshua, mm-hmm. in, the, in the Gospels. And why okay. he did certain things that he did in specific locations that he did them yeah i won't i won't oh, even yes. broach into it it's too phenomenal go yeah, pick yeah, up yeah, a yeah, copy right, cool. of reversing Yeah, so good oh yeah
0: i oh man yeah
1: <laughs> and then and then um we'll just gloss over that it's too good just go go read it <laughs> but then um a lot of paul's writings make a lot more sense with the um with the divine council worldview from deuteronomy 32 and and psalm 82 and stuff and also from the perspective of from the understanding of what happened in genesis 6 with the watchers and the nephilim and the giants Mm. a lot of the random instructions that he gives like in first corinthians where Mm -hmm. he tells ladies to have their hair covered for the sake of the angels you're like wait what it's in there. Go read it. I think it's chapter right. six, right? Uh, five or six. And then later when he, no, it's in chapter six where he tells people, stop suing each other. I hear that you guys are, are taking each other to court before pagans. They don't care about you. Can't you settle disputes among yourselves? Don't you know that you're going to sit in judgment over angels? And we're all like, no, Paul, I had no idea of this. Could you please elaborate? And of course right. he doesn't
0: because Here's he assumes
1: that you already know that. That's why mm-hmm. he said, don't you know, the, the implied mm-hmm. implication is, yeah, we should have known that. Sorry, Paul, our bad. But, yeah. but to us, we're like, wait, who? Huh? Right. <laughs> it all goes back to Genesis right. 6. And then yeah. Jude and Second Peter both quote directly from 1 Enoch, which is oh, largely right. about Genesis yep. 6. So, uh, so much more of the Bible makes so much more sense with the divine counsel worldview the perspective Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. the understanding of of what happened at genesis 6 that led to the flood right it's super good i will i'll shut up now but it's good i recommend it go read them
0: (laughs) no no i hear you buddy i hear you um i i think a lot of what people miss with Paul can be satisfied when there are elements such as this that's put in place that helps re- define more of what he's trying to say and how yes. he's viewing it. Um, uh, so one of this can actually lead into one of my uh, current authors that I've read recently. His name is Pincus Shear. Um, we've mentioned before in the podcast Pincus, and we've also mentioned before um, Israel Bible Center where he's a professor yes. at. And, um, he wrote a book not too long ago. It was uh, called The Missing Ingredients. And there's been a lot of these books over the years. R.A. Torrey wrote one, A.W. Tozer about how to study the Bible. Oh, Dale Moody sure. even wrote one on how to study the Bible. Billy Graham wrote one. Uh, Wright, N.T. Wright did. I mean, you name a big name. Even John MacArthur wrote one. <laughs> so everybody has written one of their own little, uh, this is how you study the Bible books. And um, as
1: as an aside to that, we don't endorse all of those. Just no, no commenting on they have been written before,
0: correct? Correct. And Pinkus, um, I appreciated the book, um, even though it it would, when I, it would, it would be introductory, it's an introductory book, as it should be. Um, but uh, he did have a couple of pieces that, that I, I thought was even quite spot on. Um, when it came to sources such as rabbinic texts and sages mm. text and you go, yeah, that it's kind of a, a duh moment, but, um, and I, and I'm not going to go into too much detail because he really sets it up like a, a recipe book. He, he, he's entitled it the Miss, missing ingredients on purpose. And so okay. he's really trying to help you understand how the reading the Bible can come out to be an excellent meal. Once you've prepared it correctly. And I thought, you know what? I really appreciate that point of view on scripture because I was talking to somebody recently um, about um, the communion that 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 we've taken for so many years, and yeah. they were a little surprised when I use, when I call it. This is just some terms I've come up with. Is spiritual anorexia? It is. It is taking a crumb. Of what's supposed to be a magnificent feast, of celebration and joy, and going, okay, I've had just enough, right? Um, my wife and I watch like watching Hot in Cleveland with Betty White and Jane Lee's and a few others. It's it's funny, but okay, the the ladies are are from L.A. and so there are scenes where they'll say, "Oh, that pizza looks amazing. I'll just take one sniff, <laughs> one sniff," or that 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 drink looks amazing. I'll just take one sip and so and then that's the entire drink, right? But and, and I'm not saying anything against that, but what I'm saying for sure, is sure. the experience that what scripture has established and what tradition has also established tend to be opposing in the sense that while it can be a sobering moment when you sit down and you you take seriously what Jesus did. It's not to be so solemn that it's only supposed to be a tiny little bit. Jesus wants us to celebrate what he did. He didn't do it just so that we can sit in a pew and go, okay, that's it. He did it so that we could not only joyously partake in a feast of celebration, but even be able to interact with each other on that topic and on the basis of what his body and his blood has done in our lives.
1: Yes. It is
0: a participatory event. And so I I struggle with the concept that that what a lot of evangelical tradition has developed is a very not only watered down but very anorexic idea of what God would have it be. Um because he what was that Leviticus twenty-three, number twenty-three, something like that. Um it was in Torah, that's for sure, uh, where Jesus <laughs> makes it clear, you're to party. You are to yes. party. And if you don't party, that's a problem. And he outlines what the consequence of that is. And so mm-hmm. why a responsibility would—
1: responsibility to celebrate what God has given us.
0: Exactly. And if G, why would it be any different for us than what Jesus did? He participated in the Passover— He didn't just automatically take the Passover meal and just take one little part of it and go, okay, you can only have this little bit. Right. Right. No, he didn't do that. He said, when you do this, when you take part of this meal, do it in remembrance of me. It's not just drinking the wine. It's not just taking that bit of bread. It's the meal. Because what is the meal hearkening back to? It's hearkening back to what Jesus came to establish from out of those plagues of who he is, and the role that he ends up being is part of not only a fulfillment, but even just even the the atonement that he establishes through his sacrifice on the cross for especially yes. intentional sins. And so what I appreciate about Pincus's shears book is that it opens up the mind to be a little bit more um, receptive, even, I would say, but even more aware. Is what word I was going for is more aware of the resources out there that can enable an individual to truly jump in and start connecting with the context of Scripture.
1: Absolutely, so absolutely. I'm gonna I'm a piggyback on that. Not so much on the realm of a book, but but there's a reason that Jesus invented or or right. did did the elements of communion at Passover. Mm-hmm. And for anybody who's been a part of a Passover Seder, the entire thing, Seder is the Hebrew word for order or structure. It right. just, it, the, the meal is ordered.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: and there's certain liturgy that you go through and it's all des- designed for remembrance.
0: remembrance and walk through yep. the
1: entire Exodus story, up to, I mean, not the entire Exodus story, but through... Exodus 1 through 18 roughly mm-hmm. um uh, rescuing them f- from egypt from slavery taking them across the Red sea and it's all about remembrance and it's in that context that G- that Yeshua says do this in remembrance of me it's totally it mm-hmm. they're, they're completely tied together
0: very this much' is so. my
1: blood for the new covenant the blood that got put on the doorposts to protect from the the tenth plague which was mm-hmm. the death of the firstborn son. Mm-hmm. And he himself was the firstborn son who was given. There, there's just so many interconnections between
0: absolutely
1: between uh, communion mm-hmm. and the feast of of communion of the feast of Passover in remembering. Um, I love the way you said it. Being sober but not somber. Yeah, um, take it seriously, but celebrate that God has rescued us from slavery. Mm-hmm um from exodus and celebrate that god has rescued us more corporately from slavery to sin it's the same thing but it's blown even bigger and that's the whole point of it okay i'm done preaching Can you tell I've had my coffee this morning?
0: <laughs> I can tell. Yes. And you've had your exercise too. You're yep, energetic. <laughs> I had a good
1: good CrossFit workout and I've had a, almost a full thermos of coffee. I'm ready, baby. Let's I'll preach to you on whatever you want. <laughs> no, I
0: think it's fantastic because that's what these books should be doing. My son and I watched a movie yesterday. I'm not going to bring it up because uh, we, we, we're not using that today. We're not using the episode for that today, but what, what we saw was something that we both agreed wasn't that good because it did not cause you to be faced with something that you had to question. That you had to be you were presented with this th- something, right? A good movie, especially a good book, presents you with information and with the opportunity to ask a simple question. And so whether it's right and wrong, I mean, you got that part, but really it comes down to the person, the reader, the observer being able to process what they've read and come to a conclusion on the matter for themselves, right? And so that's what I appreciated about Pincus is that he's he's not giving any conclusions, but he's definitely raising the questions. And in some ways I found what he was doing was actually raising a question for me of going, why don't I incorporate that? why haven't I incorporated that? And it would cause me to reflect back on my, on my life even and look at situations and scenarios and just what I knew to be life and realize the, where, what, where these resources were when even in one element of my story where I was and how they could have fit in. And it's not that what if, It's that, well, wait a minute, if this is where I was and this is where these were, then maybe, just maybe, they can also speak back into my life. Because that's one thing that we always, uh, you know, attributing to scripture is that it's going to speak back into your life. And it does. But these can, too, in a sense. But more than that, you've got this desire to want to get these into other people's hands and to use them properly. Right. Um, but that's one of the reasons why I've not only enjoyed Pincus, but I've really enjoyed Israel Bible Center. But there was Eli and Eisenberg's A Gospel. The Jewish Gospel of John. Is another book I'd bring up. Um, what I'm appreciating about these pers- and I've appreciated this before, I've actually seen other authors where they would take, where they'd be looking at a portion of scripture, and they'll take, all right, so let's take uh, Galatians two verses one through ten, and they're going to list it at the above of the chapter, and then they start going into that verse and verses in, in detail, right? Well, that's what these these authors do, uh, nearly all of them, and especially yes. Lazarik and Eisenberg when he's going through his Jewish Gospel of John, um, because he's not only helping you read along with scripture and where he's at. But then he's helping you being able to see some of the key key text and key words that are being used and how they're being used, especially when it came to Eudoya, and which is the which is the Greek word that we get Jew from or Jewish from, right? Or, or J- Judah. But anyways, um, it was an eye popping book being able to address. I don't know if he was doing it intentionally, but it was definitely addressing the bias, the idea that I've had over my life about whether it was all the Jews or some of the Jews that were out against Jesus. Because even when I was growing up, you'd read portions about, well, that Pharisee over there just, just supported Jesus. That Pharisee over there, him
1: that, uh, that Herod was after him.
0: Right, right, right. And, um, and even in Acts, when the when the Pharisees stand up in defense of Paul and going, hey, if these guys are really uh, sent from God, then you wouldn't want to touch them. <laughs> right. And so it, you get these elements of going, you get these pieces being put together and you realize, wait a minute, I've had this idea for a long time of being told all the Jews were out to get Jesus. All the Jews are Christ killers. And so all the Jews need to be replaced. Yeah. It really fed into that replacement theology ID. I, I mean ideology. And so um what I really appreciated about him was that he took what I would consider a tired theology. Mm. And I mean tired in the sense that it's been so overused. There's nothing new coming out. And he, a way to phrase it. he took he took it and he said, look at this this way. And it's being more deliberate than that because my one of my problems with systematic theology is that it tends to be so broad and it tends to be so boxing that when you get to a text such as John where it brings up the word Iwodoya and how it's presenting it in context to Jerusalem and not to all of Israel— you realize, oh wait a second. Okay, I think I'm seeing something a little different, and so it forces you to have to take that systematic theology idea and just open its its boundaries up and go. Wait a minute, yes. there's something a little bit more uh, more connecting here and more even more specific here that I can't just have this one idea that's going to be able to cover everything. And so,
1: absolutely,
0: and that that would be another downfall
1: of of systematic theology in general, but even just the concept of why do we need to systematize relationship with the divine? Oh, sure. Why, why do I need to reduce God into a box that I can wrap my head around? I don't want to right. worship a God that fits in a box that fits inside my finite brain. Yeah. Something like that. I've heard. That yeah.
0: Said. Well, I mean, I mean, I get the idea out of uh, J- judges. Um, the, uh, the guy that asked the uh, Levite priest to to stay with him yes. now, because in my personal opinion, I saw it as a spiritual menagerie. Mm-hmm. And he, yes, there he was had a specific intention of wanting the priest to be there so that he could validate what the guy was doing as far as yes. his worship to God. But when you look at the look at everything else the guy had, he, the priest was just part of a menagerie of things exactly. in that guy's life and house.
1: Because when the Benjamites show up and and take the, the Levite and Levite gets a promotion from one house to a tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, he takes the household idols with him. Like, yeah. So this guy was not just worshiping Yahweh. He was not trying to be devout in that way. It was it was very much a, a justification of, or a, what was the word you just used for it? Like a legitimizing of what he was yeah. doing in his own house.
0: Right, right. And so it's just, it, it becomes... To put relationship in a box is to refute the idea that a, the the way a person operates isn't as so finite and so regulated as people tend to think. It's that 1984 idea. Let's regulate this to the hilt in some yes. degree. And yet God would make it clear, this is how I'm going to have a relationship with you. One of the things I took away from the – um the nurture of their nature, and, and, and some other things I've been reading on and, and thinking about regarding being made in the image of God. Um, I was talking to my brother recently, and I said to him, God made us in a way where he wanted us to have a brain that worked. He wanted He gave us a heart that works, and so on. But then he also, later on, gives us the instruction manual about how those things are supposed to work. He wants them to work properly. He wants them to work well. Now, we can keep the analogy. We can take something and, and use it in some way. Yeah, well, you can use a flathead screwdriver to open up a can of paint, but uh, it was designed to be able to screw and unscrew a screw, right? Mm-hmm. But um, at the same time, if we're not understanding the basic principle and basic use of the mind, of the heart, of our hands and our feet, And if in some ways we're having that spiritual bypass that that it's not just even spiritual, this bypass between our thoughts and our actions, then nothing's going to really communicate well, whether it's even in ourselves or to somebody else. And so as a result, you get this very confusing language that takes place and it shows the disharmony and the lack of shalom, the lack of peace that can be experienced. When everything is working as they should or as they were designed to be, because even recently I've been doing these um, lectures on the Apostle Paul. And um, when you look at his use of the body, the body in Corinthians, talking to the Corinthians, he's using something very specific. All, all systems, there's going to be hierarchies and functions of systems. And that, that's that's plain to see. But Not he sure. takes something so so plain so simple, something so attributable to all portions of life and, and people all over the world to say there is a function for you. And it can be very good. It can be very useful. And when done well, it can make everything else work seamlessly.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And at the same time, Paul was kind of doing a slap in the face to... Um... Oh, dear. What was the guy? Uh, Greek, not philosopher, but.
0: Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about, because he he actually addresses a lot of the Greek thinking as well as the Greek gods when he's discussing this in a lot of different ways. And I think that's what, what we were talking about earlier, about how people miss things when it comes to what Paul is talking about. Because yes. it, they're automatically thinking, okay, he's just talking about God. He's a monotheist. Mm-hmm. He's a monotheist. Well, there's different theists in the world. There's mono, there's hino, there's poly. There's different ways of looking at either the one God or gods in general. And when you look at Paul, and even when you look into a lot of the older ancient texts of Scripture, and even just the, the way that they're interacting with God as well as the other gods, it would actually seem to address more of a henotheistic approach. Whereas, yes, yes, you are the top dog. You are the top God.
1: You are the one single creator.
0: Correct. But we recognize there's all these other gods.
1: Mm -hmm. Also made by you, the creator.
0: Yeah. And that's the other piece that Michael could really bring in here. And that what he does bring in here, that God is the one that created them. And God is the one that can actually... You know, uh, uh, outfit and retrofit them in ways that, that that is specific to his specific plan and glory.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Rather than what the Greeks did with the gods and, and everybody else, it's just like, yeah, no, it's not how it works. But anyway, it's not how it
1: works. But but even even uh, Peter would would riff off of the Greek idea that um, mm. that the Greek mm-hmm. pantheon of gods. Led by Zeus, had overthrown the Titans. Peter riffs on that in Second uh, Peter chapter two when he's he he uses the Greek word for Titans when mm-hmm. he's describing that God did not spare the the angels when they sinned, leading to Noah's flood. And Peter's talking about baptism and the the spiritual warfare aspect of baptism, and he's right. linking it back to Genesis six again. Go read. Right. Uh, reversing her mom for more details but um <laughs> another plug there
0: the uh, plug, and a quick word from our sponsor
1: <laughs> yeah but it's just so much fun to keep digging deeper into the bible in various different resources and finding out that the biblical authors were so so ingrained in their culture and mm-hmm. so familiar with what their audience was already familiar with and a lot of it is stuff that we because we're not Jewish, because we live thousands of years later, because we live in an individualistic society instead of a collectivistic society, right. we are so um, coming coming at it from such a radically different perspective that we miss so much of what. Now, granted, um, I've said I've said this before. I think it was G.K. Chesterton. It might have been George MacDonald that said. Um, the bible is shallow enough for the meek and the humble to come and drink and deep enough deep enough for the theologians to drown mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. There, and anybody can read read scripture and come to know who yahweh is right. and come to know who yeshua is and come to a saving faith in them mm-hmm. absolutely not disputing that at all right. On, the, right on the flip side of same coin there is such depth and richness that that i'm even only just now starting to plumb the next layers down i will continue learning for the rest of eternity not even just for the rest of my life and that's to some who um i'm going to take a little tangent here but to some that can seem daunting like i got to keep learning I, i could get a three doctorates in this and still not know it but but To others, that's super fun and exciting because we just get to keep learning. Um, Mm -hmm. The other day, my wife pulled out an old, probably two or three years ago, she and I did a little um, spiritual assessment. Um, I'll have to get the name of it for you. It's from, um, ah, I can't think of the name. Anyway, it was was an assessment from a, a Gary Chapman book. Um, and it was,
0: oh, uh, the five love language guy.
1: Um, I believe so, but it wasn't that book, it was right, um, right, sacred search or or sacred pursuit or something like that. Yeah, okay, uh
0: huh, uh huh, yep, yep.
1: But it was in there's a little assessment in there that that both of us took independently, and um, you answer the questions, and it's all about how you most easily connect with God. And you total up your scores on different questions, like add the sum total of these different ones. And and do you connect with God best in creation and walking through what he made? Do you connect with him through musical worship? Do you connect with him through mm-hmm. study? Um, do you connect with him through fellowship with others? And just, it, it's a neat study, uh, a neat assessment to help you understand how God wired you particularly. None of it is better or worse than any of the other answers, but um, but Christy pulled out mine I was in a little bit of a funk uh, a few weeks ago and so she pulled out my old assessment to see um, how I best connected with God and she saw that I far and above like knocked it out of the park in one and only one category and it was on the intellectual the, the studying and the depth and getting to dig into Bible and col- culture and context and that just connects me to God more than anything else. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. so the mm-hmm. idea that there's more to learn in depth and getting to continue to learn for the rest of eternity to me is incredibly exciting because that's how I love to worship mm-hmm. because I find out something new, not new, new to me, obviously. Right? No, right. No, I, yeah, no, I get that. But I learned something new and I go, Wow, God, I had no idea that you were that cool or <laughs> so cool in that way. Or, right. Or whatever. Right. So.
0: Right. Because you listen to the masses, you think that he's just this genocidal maniac that's ready to whack you over the head for screwing yeah. up. And yeah. we 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 all have we all have that experiences in our past where um, right. our relationships with our dads and our, the men in our lives can influence our relationship with God and, and how we see Him, sure. um, which is one reason to- why I'll bring up one more book. Um, okay. Uh, so this would be my last book in in connection of two, um, because I'm going to mention one book. It's called uh, "Could You Not Tarry One Hour" by uh, Larry Lee. Larry Lee was a televangelist back in the day. Okay. He was, I think he's even still doing it now. Um, but uh he he was met with a lot of controversy. But he was um he, he helped start the the church, uh Church on the Rock, I believe it was. And um okay. but he has a very interesting background in the sense that he was once committed. And the book starts okay. out with, with this story of I mean, him being like committed talk- to an institution for behavioral issues and psychi- 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 psychiatric, problems. And, um, he was on some very powerful, powerful stuff. And, um, what he ended up doing was, is that in the, in while he tells a story, which is powerful in and of itself, um, and how God really restored his mind, restored It was, it was truly an amazing story. But when it comes it, it was the only book that I could find that dealt with in a practical way, the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples Prayer, whatever you want to call it. In a lot of ways, I would say it's the Disciples Prayer because they're the ones that went to Jesus and saying, hey, how do we pray? Which was a big question for not just even his disciples, but when you look into the literature, that was a common, common question for disciples to their rabbis and their sages. And so while I appreciated his practical approach, Brad Young, who is a uh, a protege of David Jester, who is commonly known in Bible roots circles, biblical roots circles, uh, of of, of a lot of material pertaining to the Jewishness of the Bible, of Jesus, and so on. Well, um, Young took more of a linguistic approach. Now, that, of course, speaks to me because of my background of in course. linguistics. But what he did was is that he took the, the, the Lord's Prayer, and it's this little book. I mean, it is tiny. It's not even a, maybe a quarter of an inch thick. Mm. And he takes different parts of the prayer. He looks at the words used. He does linguistic analysis. But then he also does biblical analysis and saying, well, where else? Where could Jesus have drawn this from? And a lot of his tie-ins are truly incredible in the sense that what we've been talking about already is that it takes what Jesus is saying and applies it to the context and helps us see even more of how Jesus is using this, why he's using it this way, and how it ties back in specifically with what God's already been saying, mm. right? Right. And so it's one of those books that I would not only would recommend, but I reread it on a regular basis on a regular basis and, well, and him being a, what one more
1: time with the title,
0: the Lord's prayer.
1: Oh, okay, oh very simply.
0: <laughs> I think he even had it another word, but yeah, it's Brad Young and um, the Jewish background to the Lord's prayer. Excuse me. The Jewish okay. background to the Lord's prayer. And um, we talk about, or just having those mind-blowing moments of going, God, this is, wow, this is more who you are. I'm beginning to see you even a little bit more clearly, even if it's mm-hmm. still through a mirror darkly or however Paul put it. And yeah. um, and yet it, it not only does that, it, it grounds it even more. It's no longer just these words that we have to find meaning for, at least if it's tangentially through whatever Jesus say, is kind of saying or what we think Jesus is saying. Rather, it puts it more grounding in the sense of what the Bible has been saying, what God has been saying. And so that's why I appreciated this book so much, so much. And even at the end, Brad has taken taken everything. And since he's a linguist, he's actually rewritten, well, not rewritten, but basically he's given his translation of the Lord's Prayer in the back, especially in context of not only what. The linguistics is behind it, but also what the biblical linguistics is behind it. And Very cool. it just makes it even more poignant as to what you're saying, what you're trying to say, and what you are saying. And so as a result, I'm able to say this prayer now in a way that makes much more sense to me, makes it much more meaningful for me and personal for me because Jesus gave it to his disciples. I'm a disciple of Yeshua. I have a rabbi and his name's Jesus. And so as a result, I, I want to be able to take what he has given me and use it in a way that's meaningful to me. But at the same time, enables me to connect with Israel because Israel is still my spiritually older sibling and able to connect more with the family of God and understanding what part in it I'm at, but also the fact that this is his family, not mine. Yes. It makes it more joyous. It makes, it's more of a, yeah, it gets down to repetition, but it's no longer just a droning repetition. It's a joyous repetition that I get to be so grateful and being able to say this over and over and over again and get to say, I'm part of that family.
1: Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Great
0: book. You have, you have another one?
1: No, I think with that, we should wrap up this episode. (laughs) Agreed. So thank you for listening. Uh, it, it, we would love to hear from you at beardedbiblebrothers at gmail.com. Send us what books you're reading right now, the ones that you really enjoy. Um, if you have any questions or, or if we covered something too quickly, go ahead and email us and ask. Or oh, we, yeah. we would just love to hear from you guys. So whatever you're whatever you're thinking, whatever you're reading, whatever you've got for us, beardedbiblebrothers at gmail.com. And until next time, Keep reading, keep listening, and keep drawing closer to God.